Tonight we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 5. And I'll just, as you're turning there, I'll just go through some of the things that occurred in the, the last time we got together with this uh, uh, portion of Scripture. The old guard, Eli and his sons, they die. Uh, and we see today, really, a, again, I said it a few times, a quite humorous account of God versus the Philistine false god Dagon. It's, uh, it's showtime here. Uh, chapter 4, we saw the children of Israel fighting with the Philistines. They're at war. Apparently, it does appear that it was unsanctioned by Samuel. didn't seem like God told them to do it either. And they get the bright idea to take the Ark of the Lord into battle. They lose the battle, and the Philistines take uh, the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of, you know, the Ark of God, as a trophy with them back to the Philistine camp. Uh, just to kind of refresh your memory, the Ark was a, a big box. It was about 45 inches long by about 27 inches wide and 27 inches high. And it had an opening on the top for the mercy seat that was pure gold. And uh, it was, the mercy seat was ornate. And on the top of it was a sculpture of two uh, angels, cherubim, facing each other with their wings outstretched. And there would be, God said that he would dwell in that area. And then when the high priest came once a year to offer a blood sacrifice, uh, you know, sin had to be dealt with, so that was the way it was done. He would sprinkle the blood before the mercy seat. And God said that his glory would be there. So there would be a manifestation of God on that mercy seat. And therefore, uh, if somebody came into the Holy of Holies without uh, proper permission, they would be struck down. So God was very serious about that. Now, the, and we'll see this in the, in the next chapter, on the side of the box were like loops uh, and like sockets, and then poles would go through each side, and the prescribed way of carrying it, because you weren't supposed to touch the Ark of God, it was holy, was that four guys would carry it. You know, one had each part of the pole on each four ends, and that's how they would lift it up and transport it. So we're going to cover that in the next chapter. There's a, a short chapter. But uh, it's very important that we understand the Ark of God. Again, years ago, I think it was a, it was a, a, a decent movie. It was a clean movie. But um, Indiana Jones, the, remember that? Two, was it the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Kind of gave a pretty good representation for the most part of what it probably looked at and the power that it, it wielded for those that looked into it uh, you know, unallowed. So it's just kind of funny way back then. But again, there's a whole controversy which I don't want to get into about where the ark is now, it was lost, some people say they have it, but no one's really seen it. Okay, so we're going to jump in starting with verse 1, chapter 5. It says, Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon, fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only the torso of Dagon was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who, came, who come into the Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So you have this, this ark of God is taken by the Philistines as, as, as loot or whatever, a trophy, and they put it in their temple of Dagon. This is their god, their false god. And 
You have to understand in that culture, you know, if, you, if your God was the God of the mountains, you would worship the God of the mountains, and your, the other God was the God of the valleys. Whoever would win, you would say that your God was stronger. So this was a, a way to humiliate the Israelites' God by taking the representation and putting it in their temple, right, before this statue, this idol of Dagon. So Dagon is found in the morning, fallen on its face. Apparently, Dagon has fallen and he can't get up. (laughs) But Dagon, he was the chief deity of the Philistines. He was half man and half uh, fish because of their culture. And again, this goes back to the desired-based theology that I spoke about. If you were uh, a farmer, you would fashion a god in your image back then if you were ignorant, you didn't know any better, of the, uh, the grain god or the fertility god. If you were a god of the sea, because your, your people were seafaring people, as in this case, you would have, my son's laughing, you'd have a fish god, you know what I'm saying? So it probably looks something like a mermaid with a fish body uh, from the waist down and flipper and you know, hands and a head. So this is their chief deity. Okay, so what do you do when your god falls on its face? You help it back on its throne, of course. Now, the first time he falls, he falls face down. Now, that we would understand as in supine versus, you know, prostrate. He was uh, prostrate. So he was face down on the floor right in front of the ark of God where God dwelt. So this was really a picture of kind of ironically how the statue fell. I don't think it was ironic. I think it was purposeful in a prostrate position. Anything bows down to the God of gods, you know, the true God. So the next morning, you know, they they prop Dagon back onto his throne, his little pedestal in, in the temple. And the next morning, poor old Dagon falls down again. This time... He, um, he's missing some pieces. You know, he's missing his hands and his head, and he's not doing so good. The only thing left is his torso. But God goes to show the people that their false god, what they were relying in, was useless. And that was the, the understanding here. Now, interesting in verse 5, it says that the way he fell on the threshold, that to this day, when the actual book was written, that the Philistines didn't tread in that area out of respect to their invalid Dagon god who, you know, fell down by the threshold. So it just is a kind of weird situation, but there's definitely a lot of symbolism behind here. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want to serve a god that I have to help back on his throne when he falls down, okay? I want to serve a god who's far stronger than me, far brighter than me, and thankfully we found him, you know, the king of kings and lord of lords. But... You know, some people say with their lips that God is my God, but sadly, their behavior tells a different story. And God will also prove any other God, small g, other than himself to be useless. God will never take second place. He will either destroy the false gods or he will move on. All right? Uh, It was so cool. The teacher was very creative in Sunday school and my son came home, and I said, what did you learn? They do such a great job in, in Sunday school. They do a fantastic job. And he said, well, uh, the teacher taught us to make gods. You know, somebody made a god out of a dollar bill with Play-Doh, and, you know, somebody made a god out of something else, and then they ripped the god apart. They destroyed their false idols. I thought that was neat. And my wife actually remembers this years ago when... Uh, you know, we were praying uh, about moving to a, another house. You know, we were going to have a child, and we, we were looking for a better place off a busy street. 
And, uh, you know, I was praying, Lord, if I could just get a, a living room that was a little bit bigger, I would have a men's Bible study. Right? It's funny how you make these deals with God. And uh, so it happened, and we found a, a, a house, and, you know, it was a fixer-upper. It was all we could afford at the time, so little by little, I started fixing it up, and then this had to be fixed up, and then that room, and then the bathroom, and, then, and before you know it, it just is never-ending. So a good friend came up to me and said, you said that if you, you told God if you had a real living room that was a little bit bigger, that you would have a men's group, and you would honor him. And I said, well, you know, it's not presentable here. And he said, you know what, Joe? You're making your house a God. Now, praise God that my friend had enough courage to say that to me. And I was immediately convicted. And I said, you know what? You're right. So I'm going to start the, the Bible study. So it was really cool. But sometimes it takes someone else in our life to realize we're not seeing it. And there's so many things we could make gods. Easy to make our kids a God. It's easy to make money a God. Recreation, vacations, retirement, whatever the case may be. Even serving in a ministry, we could make a God. So we're, we're kind of doing it, and we've kind of left God behind, but we got it from here, Lord. It's okay. And that becomes elevated on top of anything else. We have to always be open to the possibility of God removing something in our life because he loves us, but will we do it kicking and screaming? And that's the question. Verse 6. It's not just the Philistines that could learn a lesson. Uh, but the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us and Dagon, our God. Therefore they sent and gathered themselves to the lords of the Philistines, their leaders, and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. Mind you, it's another Philistine city, okay? So they carried the ark of, of, the, of the God of Israel away. And so it was, after they had carried away, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. So God will show grace, but he will only take so much profaning until he deals with that profaning. God will not be mocked, the Bible says. Uh, his long-suffering is salvation. We, we talked about that in, in Peter's works. Uh, the only reason why he waits around and doesn't punish right away is because he's very gracious, and he's, uh, he's, his desire is that all would come to salvation. So God now is going to punish the residents for their idolatry, for mocking him and they get tumors. What I love about this is progressive punishment. There's so many concepts that we could learn in the scripture. What does God do first? He knocks the statue down, then what does he do? They do it again, he breaks the statue into pieces. Then what does he do? Okay, these guys are gonna keep mocking me, now he afflicts them with tumors, and we see that it starts to get worse. This is considered progressive punishment. He doesn't just whack them right off the bat, he's very gracious and merciful. Now. These tumors are interesting because it is believed that they're one of two afflictions, and I've heard different accounts on this. Number one, it possibly was a bubonic-type plague uh, that caused tumors or, or swellings or eruptions caused by vectors, which we understand as insects, like the bubonic plague in Europe. They, the, the rats and the mice carried fleas, and the fleas were the vectors. They carried the, um, the parasites and the, you know, the the microbes or whatever to inflict the people. And why we think that might be a possibility because in chapter 6, 
we'll find out that uh, the Philistines have this great idea to make golden tumors and golden rats. So, you know, you can kind of put the pieces together and looking at this. Incidentally, the Jews did very well during the bubonic plague in Europe because of their strict adherence to the Bible. And when the Europeans, where they were so high society and so advanced, their, um, their sanitation was deplorable. You know, they left feces and stuff in the streets. The Jews understood about burying refuse and separating it from themselves so they could be more healthy and it didn't attract rats and things like that. So uh, the Jews actually did very well during, fast forward, a few thousand years here. Now, the second uh, possibility that these tumors might be, in verse 9, it gives us a little bit more detail. And if you study the Hebrew, it says not only were there tumors, right, but there were tumors, it says, in the secret parts. Uh, some have speculated that they were hemorrhoids, okay? Yeah, it's, it's, it's comical to us, but certainly uncomfortable to the Philistines. Um, and if, I guess if you have them bad enough, it can affect your entire lifestyle. So the Philistines respond with everything but repentance. Uh, the real God is giving us and our God Dagon a hard time, so what's the answer? We need to get rid of the real God and keep our Dagon, you know, put them together, get some glue, and that's their idea. But, you know, you even see that with some that you may be trying to minister to. They know the truth, but they don't want to hear it right now. They want to stay with their religion. It's comfortable. It's convenient. It works for them. They want to stay with their lifestyle. They're not ready to be shaken up. You know, you're, you're coming at me too fast with this truth stuff. Back off on the truth. You know, send God away right now. I don't want to hear the rest of it. I'm busy right now in my life. I've got a groove going. So you may hear it yourself. Um, and really what they're doing is they're turning that into their God. That becomes their God. Whatever you give preeminence to in your life is God. Because God Almighty wants us to have him as number one. He wants to permeate our entire lifestyle and our attitude. And we have to look at that. Um, his hand was harsh towards us, they said. But again, instead of repenting, God has to leave. So the solution, this is great. Let's send the ark of God into a neighboring brother city with other Philistines. So it's bad enough that they got afflicted. A lot of brotherly love here. Let's send it to a, a sister city, right? And this is what they do, which is kind of a little bit nutty. Uh, but this is what evil does. Evil looks out for number one. Whereas the truth, we know that Jesus spoke about sacrificing ourselves for other. Evil will sacrifice everybody else to elevate self. So you see, they work in opposite directions. So the Gathites now take a beating for having the ark, and there's that progressive punishment. From tumors, they have tumors in the secret parts. Um, John Corson, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with, he emphatically believes they're hemorrhoids. I'm not sure why, but I would just say any tumor in private parts has got to be painful, embarrassing, but certainly quite amusing for us reading the story. Verse 8, we see change. What do the Philistines do? You think about in their arsenal, their whole um, idea of what to do with this ark. You see a lot of change here. They change strategies. They change cities. They change whatever it is in their lives to hopefully make things better. Now, it's interesting how you can look at this change because that's the buzzword now. It is no different today. There are those that will change their friends. They'll even get rid of their spouses. They'll change their spouses. They'll change, if they could, their kids. You know, they change jobs. They change states. 
I just need a, a change of scenery. They'll change pastors, and they'll even change their churches, hope for a hope of a better life. However, the one thing that many forget to do is change themselves. You see, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> it's such a no-brainer exp- expression. Wherever you go, if you don't change yourself, you bring your baggage with you, your emotional baggage, your sinful baggage, your difficult ways. Ask somebody who's been married four, five, six times. I have. What's the difference? They can't really even give you a difference because they keep bringing themselves into the new marriage. So it's funny, isn't it? A lot of, lot of snickers today. It's a great portion of scripture. But the truth is we need to change ourselves because we bring ourselves into every circumstance. Verse 10. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron, another Philistine city. So it was that the ark of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronots cried out, saying, they have brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city, and the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with the tumors. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. So what's the solution? Send the ark to another city, another sister, brother, city. So the Ekronites now are getting their share of the doom. And nobody, again, seems to get the bright idea to repent. And that's what repent means, to change. To change themselves. To humble themselves before God. To stop with their self-directed ways and their self-directed selfish lifestyles and turn to him. So once again, the uh, lords of the Philistines, the leaders, put their heads together to figure something out, and now deaths are being recorded. So we see this progressive punishment get to its apex. Now it's starting to take life. Um, Again, the unspiritual lords of the Philistines. Evil doesn't have wise counsel. How would you like the lords of the Philistines to be running your town or your state or your country not really much care for those that, and we, I was just praying about the elections. You know, there are some that get into politics for power. They really don't care about the people. They, it's just something to advance themselves. And this, these lords of the Philistines were great politicians. Let's try this. Let's try that. We don't care what happens to the people. Let's just do it. See what happens. You know, I wonder through all this if there were some secret conversions. Maybe if they came out into the streets and said, let's just worship the God of Israel, they might have gotten killed. But, you know, it's just, a, I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I got to figure that some of these folks must have said to themselves, why are we worshiping Dagon? You know what I'm saying? It probably wasn't popular, but no doubt um, we see this all throughout the scripture. Some of the, the, the pagans did turn to the Lord. It's just a thought. So, A lot of uh, unbelievers here making bad decisions, having their own gods, but what about believers, right? It would be a tragedy if tonight we didn't learn something about false gods in our own lives. Send away the Ark of the Covenant. Send away God, I'm making too much money. Send God away, I'm having too much fun. Send God away, I finally have the American dream for myself and I did it myself. Send God away. I've talked to some that actually said to me, you know, just showing them the scripture, showing them different things, showing them prophecies fulfilled, and they said, I can't argue with you. You're, you're right, but I'm not ready right now. Well, there's an honesty there. I can't intellectualize, you can't intellectualize anybody into the kingdom. 
It has to be by God's Spirit. Keep praying for them. But you can show someone the truth where they have no more excuses, no more chaff, no more speed bumps, but they just don't want it, and you need to keep praying for them. But again, knowing the truth but not wanting God to upset what's going on in my life. I want all the ancillaries and the accoutrements of Christianity, but I don't want a deeper relationship with the Lord because I know what that will mean. Pastor Joe preaches it all the time, sacrifice. I don't know that I'm ready to sacrifice, and I'm not sure what he's going to want me to sacrifice. You see? Following God is an interesting thing because we have to, we have to really trust him with no matter what it is, our families, our bank accounts, our retirement, our health. We have no choice but to trust him. So there are some that, you know, maybe even not with their words, but with their actions, they're showing that they want God so much, but don't go past this point. You know what I'm saying? Pretty amazing. Believer, what are you relying on? Are there any Dagons in your life? What is the Lord competing with? And what comes to mind while I just asked you those questions? Right? Something to really meditate on. Let's not make the same mistake the Philistines made because God will topple the Dagons in our lives. Make no mistake. I can tell you that he's toppled the Dagons in my life and many more Dagons probably to come. And I'm just being honest with you. You know, what do we get so comfortable with that we kind of push God away because that's working for us right now? I'm tired of warfaring. I want a little peace in my life. But peace at what price? What are those idols in our lives? Because God is most powerful. And if we call ourselves Christians and have those gods in our lives, he will punish us. You know, we, we'll show that we're mocking him with our lifestyles and our decisions. Let's keep that in mind. Let's pray.